If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 10. As we move our service toward communion this Sunday morning, as we've been doing now, coming close to a year, we break from our regular sermon series in whatever book we're working through, and we choose a psalm, a book that helps us worship and form our hearts and minds toward Christ, and this psalm is no different. Its theme is injustice, and it helps the Christian deal with injustice. It helps pastor the Christian to trust in God as they see and experience injustice, and the text wants you to resonate with somebody who is going through such injustice. It doesn't give the example other than the cruelty of the wicked or the evildoer, but it speaks to that. Let, let me give a couple analogies to help you relate. Imagine if you were born well over a hundred years ago, maybe primarily in one of the southern states, and you're living on a plantation somewhere, and your skin is not white, it's black. And you have no property or rights to ownership. You get up when you're told to get up, and you sleep when you're told to sleep. What kind of hope do you have? You have two children or three children. What excitement do you have for their future? Going off to college? Or just being owned by the sla same slave master, hopefully. Or worse, sold, or you sold, or one of the parents sold, never seeing those children again. How would you feel about the injustice if you were a Christian going through that? Would you be angry? Angry at God? How would you, what would you think or pray about a slave master who is cruel to you, to your own children, to your spouse. Let's say you were living in Ukraine, to give another example. In recent months, you have a home that's tough to afford, but you can afford it. You have a pretty good job. You're a mom with a couple kids. Life's hard, but doable. And then this bully on one side of you decides to fill your village with tons of bombs and missiles and walk through with soldiers, and your home is ruined. Do you think there's house insurance to cover that? Your husband is off to war because he's between the age of 18 and 60, and you're not sure how he's doing, and your brother you know has already been killed. What do you think about your neighbor to the east? You're a Christian. What do you pray against these injustices? Look with me at Psalm 10. Listen to the first part of our text this morning. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Hear that prayer? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's real groaning. Listen to how the psalmist speaks of the 
evildoer. And for verse 2, think of the family on a plantation hundred some years ago. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He, he blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, him being God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Why is the wicked man thriving? Your laws, Lord, are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. He eyes, his eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the, catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. Listen to this language. Again, think of that thought example I gave you of some Ukrainian woman. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. And the wicked man says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. That's an interesting psalm. The first half of it, at least. Those 11 verses are saying something like this. God appears distant in a world filled with the arrogance of the wicked and the helplessness of the weak. He can appear distant. The psalm is acknowledging that. These verses want you to feel the reality of injustice. They want you to taste it. That's why I started with some kind of like a, a thought experiment, an example, an analogy. Not just that you didn't get the promotion you wanted. But that you feel helpless for your life. You, you feel like there's no future for your children. And you just see this wickedness prospering, sneering at you and at God. And it looks like they're thriving and you're suffering. It looks like there's no hope. The psalmist wants you to taste that from the perspective of the, of the suffering. These, these, are, these prayers, they're not rebukes of God. They're prayers of lament. Lord, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Like real world stuff. Not, 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 not the Hollywood or every conflict in a movie or a sitcom within 30 to 120 minutes is resolved. Like real life, where there's injustice that goes not just for days or months, not even necessarily months or even years, sometimes for generations. And in those moments, it can feel like God is far off. And the psalmist prays out of their experience. Woven throughout are statements that describe the human experience a Christian would feel in the same circumstances. Like this, these evildoers revile the Lord and they think he will not notice. Look, we know that not to be biblically true. Father, they're reviling you to your face. They're not right, are they, Lord? 
The psalmist prays and teaches us to pray, to give to the Lord the reality of our experience when there's legitimate injustice in our world and in our lives. But the psalmist ends not with a clean, beautiful story of love and romance or all problems solved or everything turned out all right, but with hope, the biblical answer. The rest of Psalm 10 verses 12 to the end declare that God sees the trouble of the afflicted. He considers their grief and he will take it in hand. Let me read those verses. Look with me if you have your Bibles open. Arise, Lord, verse 12. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and you take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked man. That's a biblical metaphor for take away his power. Remove his might. The arm of a person, Bible's language is their their authority, their power, what they can do. Stop them. You take over. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. And look at how the psalmist in verse 16 declares what is true, even while experiencing God's apparent distance. The, The Lord is king forever and ever, verse 16. The nations will perish from his land You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never strike terror again. The prayers of the suffering are not wasted when no answer is given. The psalm shows how the prayers in this passage show faith breaking through the darkness again no clean hollywood version real life where there's light in the darkness there's hope for the helpless as scripture does so often the christian is taught to reach for god in their helpless estate The Christian is trusting that God will deal with the wicked and the evildoers, that God will bring forth justice. That's where 15 through 18 go. The Lord is king. The nations will perish. You hear the desire of the afflicted. You're the encourager of them. You listen to their cry. You defend the fatherless and the oppressed. Earthly mortals will never strike terror again one day even if not yet. 14, verse 14 is the core. That's the main thrust. I'll read it again. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. And and the end of verse 14 begins to give us our applications. So so what what are we to do? What are we the victims to do? when we experience injustice? What what is an African-American Christian to do 150 years ago? What's a Christian Ukrainian to do in the very months and days we're living in now? 
How does this psalm pastor us when we experience injustice? Verse 14 gives us a few applications. One is this, commit yourself to God. See the end of verse 14? The victims commit themselves to you. Like we will trust in you. It doesn't mean we're going to get an immediate answer. This isn't a Hollywood script. It's not a perfect story that takes away all suffering for our generation or the generation next. It doesn't mean that God will immediately deal with all evildoers, crush them under the force of his strength. It simply means that we do what we're supposed to do and commit ourselves to God. And we believe, as the end of verse 14 says, as we commit ourselves to you, here is our belief. Here is, worth, here is the object of our faith, that you are the helper of the fatherless. That is who God is. We believe that God helps the helpless. And then we read verses after 14, which frames our application. We read verses 15 to 18, which talks about the power of God, the one who hears our cries, who listens to us. And that's our last application. It's an application, maybe not for the Christian, other than knowing it will happen, but it's also a warning to the evildoers. Be warned, workers of injustice. You will be held to account. Because the Lord hears the desires of the afflicted. He, hears their, he listens to their cry and encourages them. He will defend the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Notice again what the Bible teaches us. And we're talking about the kind of injustice that Psalm 10 directs us to, not other kind of inequalities that also bring burden or struggle. But, but notice what the Bible teaches us. It never answers the questions that we usually ask. The when will this happen? doesn't tell us exactly how it's going to get worked out or exactly what God is going to do to resolve the difficulty. But time and time again, the Bible gives us the who. You're committing yourself not to the action God will take, but the God who does the action. You're committing yourself not to the timing in which the injustice is reversed, but to the person who fights injustice. And it's so hard for us to do. Even as we listened to Tim and Caroline talk about the way God responded to their infertility and the gift not only of Augie, but of Beatrix. Was one of the cutest hiccups you've ever heard in your life. And even in their little statements about it, not the path we would have chosen, we had to give up control we had to let God be God. Those are my words. We had to be the clay. We had to let him be the potter. You'll notice time and time again that the Bible catechizes you in the moment of your difficulty not to focus on the, the when, not to focus on the what, or even the how, but to focus on the who. The victims commit themselves. The victims commit themselves to you. For you, God, are the helper of the fatherless. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which 
ministers to us, speaks about injustices in the world, the things that we're seeing and facing. And Father, we pray for Christians all over our planet who are dealing with severe injustices that some of us never have and maybe never will need to taste. Would you help them to be pastored by the message Psalm 10 presents? And help us, Father, those of us who are love to have a mastery or the kind of mirage of control and security, who want to focus on the, the how and the when and the what, help us in our own circumstances to commit ourselves to the who. The one simply described as he who hears the cries of the afflicted and works for the good of the helpless. Thank you that you will put down every evil worker and that Jesus Christ is not only our Savior, he is our Lord, our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.